You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. Double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Coming to you right after, the day after, Florida defeats Tennessee 34-3. And joining me on this game reaction episode uh, after, the, after the blowout win is Will Salmon from The Athletic. Well, it was a game where we saw uh, the Gators team. We've kind of waiting to be <laughs> the way that we've been waiting to see so far this season. Uh, Florida's played two Power Five opponents before Tennessee. Then you know that we thought they were better than, and and they were, but had to fight tooth and nail uh, to come away with victories against Miami and Kentucky, not against Tennessee. Uh, Florida took a step forward with a with a passing game that was there from the start and a defense that did, that that just didn't let up. No, and it was a pretty solid start to the Kyle Trask era, right? I mean, oh, yeah. that's pretty much exactly at least what I thought was the expectation from like if you were looking at a through it through a positive lens for UF, what you sort of hoped to see or expected to see. Sure, it was not perfect. I don't think anybody, even if you were looking through like that sort of prism, you can't expect perfection from the guy. But for a guy making his first start since he was a fresh since he was a freshman in high school playing for like the JV team or whatever, or the freshman team, whatever it was, it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty solid. But, yeah, David, you're right, man. I, I thought that Tennessee did its best job of trying to gift wrap this game early on in very creative ways. But for the most part, Florida played pretty well, too. So I, I gave the Gators a lot of credit for handling their business in, in the way that you sort of mentioned, where it's like, we expected them to win this game big. The spread was pretty large. I think it was two touchdowns for a reason. And to some people's surprise, they not only covered that, but added to it. So uh, it was a good performance all around, uh, offensively and defensively for Florida. Yeah, I think it can be a combo of things. People want to look at well, how good is Florida, how bad is Tennessee. Well, it, it, it could play out where both of those things are, are true. Florida's improving game by game. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, and this Tennessee team, I think we really can say, uh, of course, going back to the Georgia State game and, and the way they look this game, uh, Tennessee's not very good. No, I mean, you also look at it like last year too, right? So last year after the game, a similar fashion blowout win, um, I looked at it through, okay, like you were mentioning, is it because Florida is that much better or is, just, is Tennessee just that much of a train wreck? And you look at the individual plays – and a couple of those times, sure, Tennessee just made silly mistakes. But even last year, on a couple of those big plays, 
it was a lot of good effort from Florida. I, I mentioned even that CJ Henderson play where he makes that tackle. Um, they, they, they played with that sort of pursuit for the ball and that sort of energy that Tennessee just doesn't play with. And so you can't just look at it and say Tennessee is that bad and, and, and it's awful. And that's the way that's the reason why Florida won this game uh, both years. It's not necessarily the whole story. Actually, it's frankly, it's not. Uh, Florida is a lot better than than Tennessee, and it shows up that way in games. And just kind of put a, a bow on it. It's nothing too out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary for Dan Mullen teams to do that. We see them with a great record versus opponents that they should beat. We saw that at Mississippi State under Dan Mullen, and it's carried over into Florida. They beat the teams that they should beat usually, and. That has to continue for for the Florida Gators going forward into next week, of course, against the Towson team. But also, it sets them up so that hey, now they're on. They're probably going to be undefeated heading into the the portion of the schedule that really matters. Absolutely, that's the the part the portion of the schedule everybody's looking forward to. Uh, but you know, before we get there, we have we have some time, and uh, we'll take a look at what the Gators did uh, to get the victory over uh, over Tennessee. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Many of you are catching this live on YouTube right now, so thank you so much for that. When using all those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Follow us on social media as well. Uh, Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And later in the week, don't forget, Talking With Troop every week, uh, a News 4 Jacks exclusive. Ben Troop joins me there uh, to give his thoughts on the Gators. So, Will, you kind of alluded to it earlier as well, and it it really is a feel-good story uh, for Kyle Trask so far uh, here uh, hey, maybe maybe ten years down the road we'll see a movie out of this or something. Well, we don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see where it all ends up. Uh, but for now, you know, he's making the most of this opportunity. Uh, we all wondered how he'd handle making his first start, and and for it to be in front of the home crowd, and, and that, that had to be a special moment uh, for Trask. Believe me, I, I was at a tailgate at at, at six thirty yesterday morning. Uh, fans were ready. Uh, it was a, a noon kickoff. The stadium's, you know, it's it slowly filled in, but the the uh, the tailgate uh, was probably one of the largest noon tailgates we've ever had. So that was good. I think uh, there was some excitement. I think uh, for, you know for this Gator team and a lot of, of course, questions about Kyle Trask floating around. So I think with the way the crowd filled in and and the way the game played out, it was a special moment for Trask and the way this all played out. And and I know being in the stands also for this one with, with friends and fellow fans, uh, you know, all we could do is look at each other and smile at what we were seeing. So do we? Do you think we would get cameos in that movie? Uh, like, do, would, would they would uh, walk some people into like having them like cut to a scene where like we're talking about him like on the, on the show? I think that would be, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, who would play you? Who, who who would play you? Will I play myself? Okay. <laughs> I can nail that role. I think so. But, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, man, it's, it was a good story and. The better part of it for Florida is that it kind of gives you hope going forward too, where you look at these game, these upcoming games, and sure, you know LSU. By the way, may be a tougher game than Georgia, and that LSU game, you're going to be an underdog. Um, the Auburn game is going to be tough. That comes before it, so you have those two back-to-back games, and you need a quality game out of your quarterback to to give you a chance. And Kyle Trask, he honestly provides like that sort of semblance of hope that I don't want to say wasn't there with Felipe Franks, but Felipe Franks, you knew what you were getting. And part of the equation was 
he was not as I want to say he was slightly less mature in the pocket, I think, than Kyle Trask is at times where Kyle Trask isn't going to just leave the pocket abruptly mm-hmm. or scramble at the slightest sense of pressure. And Franks was getting better at that. But you did sort of hold your breath at times with Felipe Franks and his decision making, um, particularly under pressure. With Trask, we saw a little bit of an improvement in that area. And that makes you say to yourself, okay, maybe we could kind of trust him with the ball. Maybe we could rely on him a little bit more to make safer decisions. And that's really what I'm getting at because you can't afford to make mistakes against those teams. And so if anything, I don't want to say one guy is that much better than the other, but Trask, in my opinion, at least provides uh, that sense of reliability and more of a sense of safety with the football, I feel like. And it's hard for me to say that too, though, just because we're working with such a small sample size mm-hmm. still. Like this is the first time we're able to really connect some dots on what his strengths appear to be, what his weaknesses may be. And even then we're like, okay, this is still just one game and it's against Tennessee. And yeah, we really don't know exactly what to make of him. But as far as, the little takeaways or just the takeaways in general that we can sort of assess right now, working with a small sample size, you do have that sort of comfort with him. He showed some good things and he gives you that hope um, that, that maybe just maybe he, he, he holds onto the ball or he, I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over in other words, and he doesn't sort of lose you the game. I don't know if they could win it with him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's not going to make a, a bunch of mistakes, even against the better defense. Yeah, well, you uh, uh, on The Athletic, uh, your article after the game, you really went in depth of what you saw from Kyle Trask and, and what the Gators were trying to do uh, versus Tennessee, but also what Tennessee was showing uh, this offense. And, you know, we'll look at Kyle Trask and what he did and made his first career start, of course, and made the most out of it. 20 of 28. 293 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Uh, made his presence felt in the, on the very first drive where he led a five-play, 75-yard drive in just over two minutes. Uh, first pass went for 43 yards to Trevon Grimes. Then his next throw was the 19-yard slant to Kyle Pitt for a touchdown. Well, he once again uh, on that drive, basically kind of what we saw last week, showed decisiveness, good ball placement, uh, used to field, uh, you know, outside in the middle, completed passes to nine different Florida receivers and running backs on the day. Uh, you know, Trask, 293 passing yards. Uh, you know, Florida set these notes out are the, are the highest single game total by a Gator since Austin Appleby threw for 296 yards versus Tennessee back in 2016. And the last Gator to throw for 290-plus yards with fewer than 30 attempts was John Brantley uh, when he went 16-28 to for 329 yards in 2011 against Furman. Well, I think the best I can describe it, it just looked like the offense was, you know, for the most part, had a rhythm and pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I'd also like to mention the 10.5 yards per attempt is also a pretty big stat for Kyle Trask. And also, a lot of those yards that you mentioned were through the air. They weren't mm-hmm. yards after a catch. It wasn't as if they were getting the ball out into to the screens and swings that we saw with Felipe Franks a lot. And, and guys were just making explosive plays on their own, whether it was, you know, uh, juking away from somebody or breaking a tackle and getting into open space. We didn't see that. Uh, We actually saw a lot of slants over the middle. We saw some deep posts uh, and we saw Trask hitting those and hitting guys pretty much in stride for the most part, but uh, he's putting a lot of good air on, on the balls. And so in other words, 
he definitely deserved all the yardage. I know a lot of times we look at yardage and we say, okay, well, how did the play actually happen? With Kyle Trask yesterday against Tennessee, it was because of his throws for, for a lot of it. Um, but I, I will say, though, that at times it wasn't all just glamour and, and greatness from mm-hmm. Kyle Trask. I mean, you go back to the first drive, and, yeah, it was very efficient. It looked really nice. Uh, but we can nitpick there, and we can say, okay, that, that throw to Grimes, that first throw of the game, it was a bit underthrown, actually, yep. I think at least. And, and Grimes did a good job of coming back to the ball and making the play. And also the Tennessee defender was awful on that play. <laughs> like he had no clue it looked like. So there, there was that aspect to it. But on the, at the same time, that was also the guy's third read. So he was getting the protection. He got at least four seconds to make that throw. But he made the most out of the, that time, went through his reads, and found the right guy. So it's a combination of a lot of things, like everything else that, that we talk about here. Um, and, and some of it is a good part on, on Kyle Trask for, for making those right decisions. Throughout the game, we saw that. We saw him in the pocket um, going through his reads and being confident in doing so. I mentioned it earlier. He wasn't looking to scramble at the slightest hint of pressure. And sometimes that's not, that's not that great of a thing. Uh, we saw him take a, a couple of sacks. Um, particularly one where he had some 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 room to run if he wanted to um, on the second sack, and he didn't. And instead, he gets hit, uh, he gets brought down. But I, 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 what I like is he. I'd rather have the guy, and I know this is easy, easy for me to say after it looks after it looks good and it works out and it's a blowout win for Florida. But I'd rather have the guy who kind of stays in there, is confident in himself, and yeah, maybe there'll be a sack or two. But he's going to stay in there and make some plays, and they're going to be big plays as opposed to scrambling, trying to make things happen, and running every time you see the pressure. I'd rather have the former guy instead of the latter. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to you covering Mullen and, and the staff at Mississippi State. And um, in your article, you know, you mentioned, I think, toward the end of it, of, of um, Dan Mullen's wife, Megan, kind of reaching out maybe to uh, Alex Smith or, or Dak Prescott and how those guys got their opportunities because something happened to the, the, the original starting quarterback. Uh, was there a sense of confidence like there was this past week and then we got to see it live and in person? Was there a sense of confidence in, in looking back at past reserve quarterbacks under Dan Mullen and them guys being able to to come in and, and have a performance? Granted, yes, we know yeah, this Tennessee team isn't good, but at points, sometimes it doesn't matter who you're playing. Can the backup quarterback come out and play well? Was there was there a sense of conf- confidence in your time covering Mullen uh, at his previous stop? I never really met a quarterback who felt unprepared under Dan Mullen. And I've spoke to a bunch of guys off the record even after the years on the record. And from Tyson Lee, his first quarterback in Mississippi State, to Nick Fitzgerald, um, all those guys will tell you that they were prepared to play. Um, some of them may have wanted to play more. Some of them may have wanted to play earlier. Some of them may have wanted to start at a different time. But the thing that they all say is that they were always put in the best position to succeed and that they were prepared to do so. And nothing really was ultimately surprising to them when they went into a game. Um, Sure, defenses will change and and that sort of thing. But as far as just flow of the game, what to expect from Dan Mullen as a play caller, that was never really like a shocker to these guys. And so, yeah, there is that sort of confidence that Trask is able to do that just because of how well he has prepared to this point. And we saw that against Kentucky. I thought that was where it really showed up. And so going into this game against Tennessee, 
and watching Kyle Trask throughout the pregame warmups, him getting off the bus, he never looked like he was, I don't know, flustered is not the right word, but he never looked sort of overwhelmed by the atmosphere around him. In fact, the kid was without his headphones on and he was looked as if he was soaking it in almost that he was that happy to be there, but also just operated with that quiet sense of confidence that that you see in guys who are ready to play no and of course uh wasn't just kyle trask out there uh getting uh getting some snaps there we expected to see some emory jones and see emory jones we did uh coming in uh as well throwing for 20 yards so the pair there the gators end up throwing for 313 yards and florida has thrown for 300 plus yards in three consecutive games for the first time since the final two games of the 2002-2003 uh, season opener there, Will. So it's been a long time since Florida's had 300-yard uh, uh, consecutive games. Um, Gators uh, has thrown for 250-plus yards in all four games this year, marking the first time since 2007 that has posted four straight 250-yard passing games. Uh, speaking of Emory Jones, Willie did get some time, and, and as mentioned, Trask was playing well, but Mullen was going to give Emory a shot too. Uh, and his first drive was kind of doomed from the uh, – or one of, one of his first drives doomed from the, the get-go, starting with a first and 15 after a penalty. Uh, couldn't really work work out of the hole there. Uh, we wondered just how much we'd see him, and, and he gets inserted to help the ground game uh, in the second half get going and eat some clock uh, – yeah, eat some of the clock there. Didn't, he didn't uh, attempt to run but once, but the, the threat of him out there uh, – he didn't have a carry but, but, but one carry. The threat of him out there definitely opened up. Uh, the run game, the offensive line really took it to Tennessee in, in this scenario. Now, the first drive in the fourth quarter, he was inserted there. Uh, was a stretch of runs here where Piran goes for 11, Piran goes for 13, Pierce runs for a 12-yard gain, uh, and then no gain, and then a 10-yard touchdown run uh, for, for a touchdown. So we haven't seen a stretch like that from the run game all season. No, um, I think like even in the second half, though, what remains to be seen is – were the issues fixed or was this a product of not just playing Tennessee, but playing a Tennessee team that looked a little bit checked out toward the end where, Hey, I don't blame them. Blame them. You're down, uh, you know, more than 20 points uh, in the second half and it's not looking good. And this team's stuffing the ball with fresh guys and really clicking. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but you do have to feel a little bit better than you otherwise would have. Right. Um, that's kind of the key aspect of it. I, if I'm Emory Jones, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I feel like you kind of feel for the guy just because he gets put in there and then all of a sudden everything just it is not his fault. But all of a sudden, everything just like goes off the rails a little bit. You know, yeah. you have a couple of mistakes. So the blocking isn't as great as it was with Trask. And I don't know if it's like same reason why I'm reluctant to say it's like Trask or whoever the quarterback is when we're talking about the offense. Well, just look better with Trask versus with Franks. I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to say that because like the, the guys around them, I know it's all connected, but certain people are doing different jobs. And so there's so many variables in play. And, you know, we, we're talking about one series to the next mm -hmm. where, Things just didn't look good. And then we don't really get a whole lot to see out of Emory Jones in this new sort of uh, two quarterback sort of situation or deal, if you will. Absolutely. And uh, one thing that has to change, Will, before it costs the Gators are the turnovers they're giving up. Uh, Gators only turned the ball over 14 times last season. This season through four games, there have been nine turnovers 
uh, by the Gators. Three in this game by Trask with the, the two deep interceptions and the one fumble on the uh, on the sack here. Uh, Mullen uh, on turnovers after the game did say he said, "I'm quote I'm okay with the interceptions." Those are very coachable moments. I'm upset uh, about an interception if he throws it and hits a DB in the chest because that's like, you know, he was standing there. When he's throwing a corner out and they're in two-man, he throws the corner, and Lucas Kroll doesn't get a lot of separation. The kid undercuts it and does a nice job. The throw was just a little bit short, and he gets it. He throws a go route to Trevon Grimes. Uh, Grimes slides inside against one high. He stares it down a little too long, gives the safety a chance to go over the top. We can fix those. It's not like he threw into coverage and 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 blindly. Um, the fumbles, though, not good. We have to get those fixed. It wasn't like any of them were uh, from a ridiculous hit or off balance. We need to protect the football when we have it in our hands. So I, I kind of took that. You know, those are that that absolutely those throws. You know, were mistakes. But you know, Trask knows what he did uh, and, and now sees things he can't get away with in certain scenarios. And and that comes with experience. I think the more he's on the field, the more he'll learn what he can do and what he can't do. Uh, the more he plays, uh, and the more he'll learn. Uh, so uh, as far as the fumble goes, uh, the right side of the line doesn't give him any time to go through his progressions. Uh, he still needs to, to hang on to the ball, of course, when he's hit. Turnovers haven't hurt the, the, the Gators, especially in this game against Tennessee. But but close games are coming. You need to improve there. No doubt. But the interceptions, do we call them mistakes if the ball gets batted down or, mm. if it, you know, in between yeah. them? And then it got, I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe, maybe we look at it and say those are those are bad mistakes. But I think it's also easy to look at the results and say, OK, that was a bad mistake or that was a bad move to throw that ball. Because, you know, I don't, I don't really hate the decisions on those throws. Yeah. I don't. I, I see that. I saw I saw live what Trask was seeing, and that was Lucas Krull and Grimes. The windows were tight there. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not throwing that ball if I'm the quarterback. Probably not. Probably not. But I'm also pretty I'm also pretty safe with the ball, David. So <laughs> my context. But if it's me, I'm probably not doing it. But I can understand why he did because the window did exist. It was a very, very tight one. And I think he underestimated the help defenders mm-hmm. on both plays. But it, there was something there. And we're talking about Lucas Krul and, and Grimes, who are going to win the majority of their matchups when a ball's up in the air like that. More more times than they're not, they're just going to be too much for for defense defenders, whoever it is, whether it's linebackers, uh, safeties, or corners. It's just going to be a mismatch, most likely, more times than not. So I don't really hate it. I, I think that what Dan Mullen said, I, I sort of agree with. Um, I don't knock it too much, especially just because of the time and the score. Look, you, you're looking to just knock it out at that point, and it's not as if the game's on the line, and, you, and that's the decision that you make. I think if it was a little, if the context was different, I'm not sure if those throws are made. Uh, the fumbles, of course, that's inexcusable, right? Uh, Dan Mullen racked it up really nicely. Um, it wasn't as if people were making these, uh, you know, great plays or anything like that. It was pretty carelessness with the football, and that can't happen. That's pretty obvious. It's also obvious to say that, hey. The better teams are on the horizon, and they're not like Tennessee. They're actually going to make you pay when the, when those things happen. They're going to capitalize it on it, and then all of a sudden you're going to be behind, or you're just going to, um, you know, be in a spot where you don't need to be, or otherwise wouldn't be. But I will say that a lot of it you have to look at and say some of it's luck uh, with the turnovers, and not all of them. And I know people don't want to hear it, but I thought that Florida was a little bit lucky at times last year. I don't want to take 
away what they accomplished in any way. But turnovers and luck, that's something that's actually real. Like there, there's a part of that that's luck where the ball gets turned over. Not every mistake that you make is going to result in a turnover. And sometimes good decisions get tipped and whatever happens, fluky plays, whatever, and it's going to be a turnover. I'd have to look back and see how many have been just poor mistakes. I think the majority have actually been poor mistakes. But what I'm trying to get at is that down the road, the amount of turnovers may actually be a little bit higher anyway this year, just because last year they were low, but part of that is luck. And sometimes it evens out from one year to the next. That's all I'm saying is that part of me is like, I feel like they were due for some uh, somewhat of an uptick in turnovers to begin with. But on the other hand, if you look at history, Dan Mullen teams do not often have problems with turnovers. So I think they're going to get some things fixed but that's not all of a sudden going to eliminate the threat of turnovers. Um, and then, of course, this is the first time this Florida offense probably ran the amount of plays Dan Mullen wants to run. So when you run seventy-one plays, you know you can handle you can handle turnovers when you run, when you run seventy-one plays. Then uh, the what around fifty-five they were running against Kentucky and, and Miami. It definitely you know you, you have more chances there. You can make up for it, but you, your possessions weren't so limited. Your possessions weren't so precious because you were actually you, you were actually out there running plays you were getting turnovers from your defense your defense was getting three and outs you were getting 71 you were running 71 plays so you can excuse some of the turnovers there when you're actually running more plays on offense yeah you can afford to you have that luxury so that's what i was trying to get at with so i'm glad that you brought that up it's just that he you were you were given this affordability of okay i don't want to say that they were being reckless but yeah we're a little bit aggressive on those plays with the, with the interceptions, and I and I didn't mind it at all. I, I thought that they were the right calls given the time and circumstance. All right, we want to go on to tease. Uh, we're going to talk about two after the the my bookie read here. We're going to tease two players on each side of the ball uh, and, and discuss defense as well before we uh, um, you know uh, get get off this episode here. But uh, two players I really want to uh, take a look at and uh, what they did versus Tennessee. But before we do. You guys, uh, you ready to, to, to bet on some football? Then my bookie is the place to bet on football every week. So whether you want to go make a national title bet or wager on this weekend's games, still some time out there to bet on the NFL. My bookie has you covered. Uh, you know, go recommend this service, and and you know, my bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. Have some fun with betting. My bookie lets you bet on which college coaches will get fired. Who will make the college football playoff or win the Heisman Trophy? You can even bet on halftime lines, live odds, and if the, if by the second half it looks like your original bet's going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Also, my bookie allows you to bet on FBS versus SCS games. So right now, double your first deposit at my bookie. Use promo code Gators to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online at myboookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. And don't forget to use promo code Gators when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at my bookie. So, Will, the, the first player I want to headline here, uh, put the spotlight on, is uh, we're seeing the emergence of Kyle Pitts, uh, I think, these last two games here. Uh, four receptions for 62 yards and a touchdown versus Tennessee. Gives him 13 catches for 161 yards and a touchdown this year. The last two games, eight catches for 123 yards. Two games in SEC play, 
will, and he's making his presence felt. Uh, and Kyle Trask seemed to, you know, be pretty comfortable with him as well, you know, looking to him and, and help unlock his potential. I like what Florida did with him too, especially against Tennessee. We saw a lot of him on the line making some making some um, really good um, – just coming off the line and running his routes really well. And I, I would point to that first touchdown with uh, Kyle Trask finding him um, on a – I think it was like a slant over the middle, if I'm not mistaken. But what I liked about it was the separation that Pitts was able to get because he had a linebacker on him. It's a pretty talented Tennessee linebacker but just no match because the guy was coming from the opposite side of the field too and trying to get over to, to Pitts' side. And then, so like the defender's back is a little bit turned and Pitts just makes like one or two quick moves and, and he has, um, you know, uh, such a large frame to begin with. But when he gets that sort of separation where he has a couple of steps on somebody already, it doesn't take a whole lot to recognize that and throw the ball and get it to him. And the, that throw was actually a little bit high. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't lead him toward the end zone anyway. When you're that tall and that big, um, that's that's the right throw to make, actually, because only he's going to get that one. And he's going to come down with it like he did. So it's really good to see. It. I mean, he's a special talent. I think he, he's obviously just scratching the surface of what he could possibly be for this team, which if you're a Gators fan is super surprised, uh, super uplifting just because it's another one of those guys. And if you look even ahead to the future, when you have the, the, this group of seniors leaving, you're going to need the weapons um, in Grimes, Copeland, whoever, and Pitts is one of those guys. And, and he needs to be counted on and he, you need to get a really good season out of him um, so that you can count on him going forward into next year. And right now they're doing that, incorporating him in a lot of cool, creative ways. Like I said, I liked him, you know, off the, uh, coming off the line and, and, you know, making some really good catches that way, as opposed to just being another wide receiver out there where, you know, teams are not going to be able to double team him no matter what, just because of the surplus of talent Florida has at receivers. But I feel like when he's coming off the line, it even presents even that much more of a, an advantage and a mismatch problem because chances are you're getting him on that linebacker matchup. And I mean, it's just the, there's no question that's that's the one that you're going to look for um, and take advantage of. And it's going to work out for you close to almost 100 percent of the time. I mean, he's that good, I feel like. Yeah, it also looks like he's uh, – I want to go back and watch some more. It looks like he's the last couple of games as well, getting a little bit better in blocking uh, as well from that tight end position. I don't think they're going to ask him to do it a whole lot, uh, but uh, in you know, just a quick rewatch of the, of the game before, without focusing solely on him, it uh, looks like he is getting better there as well. The other player I want to highlight as we move to the defense is uh, the, Amari Bernie uh, made his impact right away uh, coming back from injury. We've pointed out his versatility many, many times, uh, and that was on full display versus Tennessee. I got his first career interception, was absolutely everywhere on the field, using his versatility to, to lead the team in tackles with five and also out there for a fumble recovery. He could, uh, you know, didn't play the last two games after a late injury versus Miami, uh, but you know, his first game back, and uh, he, he's just, um, just everywhere on the field, Will. Absolutely, man. He was everywhere. Um, and it was cool to see because I feel like Amari Bernie is a super talented player, but sometimes he plays a quiet game. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is he's doing his job, but maybe the ball is not his way. And so, like, you don't see him really show up in the uh, stat sheet making tackles. But I thought last year he did a really good job of just always doing his job, uh, fulfilling what the coaches are asking him to do. 
And even in the Miami game before he had that injury, I felt like he was doing that for the most part. And it was just kind of a quiet appearance for him. Um, so it was good to see him like really break out, I thought, in this in this Tennessee game where you hit the nail around the head there by saying he was all over the field because his speed is, is pretty good. And so his reaction time, his instincts, uh, they're boosted by that speed of his. And so that, that allows him to really be good, a good cover guy. It allows him to close in and make some tackles. And that's what makes him so versatile. Um, and so it's, it's a good sign to see for Florida's defense, obviously, just because they, they need all the bodies that they can get mm-hmm. in that secondary with CJ Henderson still being out. Um, and that kind of tinker, you could kind of tinker with Trey Dean and move him around, but I prefer if, if you're going to ever move Dean around and, and shift into the corner, I prefer Bernie at, at that nickel spot because it's kind of a trickle down effect, a domino effect, if you will, even with Ben Trump Miller out, you still have some capable bodies at linebacker we've seen, uh, whether that's James Houston or even Brunson Brunson mm-hmm. that game, I thought um, surprisingly. Um, and I don't mean that as too much of a knock, but he was a lesser end recruit. Um, so your expectations of him are, they, they go accordingly. And so to see him shine and to see him really make some nice plays um, and get in there, generate some pressure, even on some, on some passes and be there for, be there on runs to help stuff them. I thought he did good. And so that boosts your, your production, uh, boosts your depth a little bit so that you can get the most out of guys like Bernie. Well, this defensive stat sheet is impressive here for, for what they would do, were able to do versus Tennessee. The Tennessee yeah, off do what? Even Grenard's alone was impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and look, and this is a this is a Tennessee offense, you know, led by offensive coordinator Jim Chaney, who knows Todd Grantham's defense, has had success, big success against Todd Grantham's defense the last couple of matchups. And you know, well, this time Chaney isn't playing with Georgia talent, uh, and it absolutely shows. And this was a game many of us saw saw as a chance with Tennessee to play with a little bit of desperation here. Uh, and that may have been that may have been in the plans uh, for for that to happen, but this Gators defense was stifling. Uh, just some key stats in, in this great defensive performance here. First of all, only giving up a field goal in, in the game and no touchdowns. Volunteers only had 239 yards of offense, 88 rushing yards, 3.3 yards per rush. Tennessee only had 12 first downs in the game, only converting uh, four of 13 on third down. Uh, much. You know, far cry from what Florida was doing against Kentucky uh, just a week ago uh, on third down. It led to led uh, Tennessee to only run 55 plays in the game. Much of that comes from just the Gators creating havoc all game, led by Jonathan Grenard, as you mentioned. Uh, eight tackles, uh, um, eight tackles for loss, and four more sacks uh, for this this whole defense here. Uh, four more sacks versus Tennessee that puts the Gators at 20 sacks for the season. Uh, and, and Grenard just showing just how much of an important get he was. Uh, Jabari Zaniga was out with, with the injury, but the addition of Grenard, uh, you know, if he if they didn't bring him in as a transfer this year, you're going even further uh, on the depth chart right now. So Grenard's out there making plays. The Gators have some depth uh, to keep pressure on the opposing offenses. No question about it. Uh, I, what I really liked from Grenard was his ability to to, to move in for that and, and really that Zuniga role where we saw him with his hand in dirt a little bit more than usual. And, I mean, he was knocking down passes, mm-hmm. uh, he was generating some hurries, pressuring the QB. You name it, he was doing it. And you're absolutely right. Without him, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that a guy like Carter is ready to step up and perform well, but – 
I'd rather have Jonathan Grenard. Uh, that's pretty clear. And he and his production is just there's no way to really overstate it. I feel like when you especially when you consider uh, what he brings off the field as far as leadership and and just the knowledge of the defense as well, because that has that that has a trickle down effect where it helps everybody else around him. And what his presence has also enabled is a, is better performances from Jeremiah Moon. I thought too. Moon played pretty well. He was in there on a lot of pressures. He had a, he had a few uh, pr- pretty impressive tackles, I thought, in the run game where he got over, made, made allowed his speed to kind of get over there, make the right decision, um, notice where the ball was going. And so he, he performed pretty well. And so when, if you have those guys um, sort of like your anchors on, on either side, you're going to generate a decent amount of pressure. Um, and that's without Jabari Zuniga, and that was really my biggest my biggest question mark for for the defense was were they able were they going to be able to do that? And with those two guys, the answer was yes. It's a, definitely a credit to them. And what I also liked was Chris Bogle in the second half playing pretty well. He's obviously a key cog for them going forward in the future, and he's already up to four games. So you got to think that he's going to play against Towson um, a little bit, get that fifth game under his belt therefore not redshirt and continue to, to get some experience at the college level. So, yeah, I mean, they're edge rushers and, and their defensive ends. Uh, they're going to give Florida enough where they're going to help them make things easier for the secondary and make things easier at the second level on runs for, uh, for the linebackers as well. And going back to something uh, a little earlier, I was, you know, we saw a great example of how it's all connected. And, and Mullen mentioned it after the game. Uh, with the defense playing so well, limiting third down conversions for Tennessee, creating turnovers, the offense was able to get possessions, end up running 71 plays, and then able to, to really work on the run game and, and get in the groove, as we mentioned earlier, uh, in the second half, uh, a week after, frustra- after some frustration of not being able to, to get off the field on defense on third down. The defense responded by not making it easy for Tennessee and give an offense that needs all the reps it can get, working in two new quarterbacks, still trying to get this run game going. I don't think you really could have drawn it up any better this week versus Tennessee to work on things you really want to work on. No, that's an awesome observation. That's that's really key uh, because that did allow that that did allow the offense to work out some kinks, and that's huge. And we're talking about a defense, by the way, that two of the last three games they they haven't allowed a touchdown, and that Kentucky second half was also pretty impressive as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the defense. I think they're a pretty nasty group, and like I was saying, they, they're. I think they have a little bit more depth at some key positions where they um, otherwise would have been susceptible had they not had a Grenard come in or um, sign the sign the corners that they did as well um, on signing day. So they should be pretty good. And once they get healthy, they're all that much better. So uh, there's a lot to like there. And again, when you talk about what the offense maybe was able to do in the second half, I know it's Towson and it's an FCS game and nobody really cares, but you get one of the things that is on my list of things I want to see if I'm Florida is just, just keep working on it and, and keep having success with it because I'm of the group that isn't fully bought in that, that all of a sudden is a cure all that, okay, you were able to work some things out. I understand the positives there in the second half, but I still point to, it was a pretty beleaguered defense to begin with. And then the score became the score that it was. So maybe that had something to do with it as well. So I, I want to see them prove it against um, – I just want to – I'll prove it against Towson because they're going to have some success anyway. 
but at least carry it over into Towson, if that makes sense, and make it carry some forward momentum with it so that you get some confidence and you're able to kind of continue to build because otherwise it's just you're going to have your hands full to begin with and you're going to have them uh, you're going to have pretty much one hand tied behind your back if you don't have that offense working um, in a dynamic way with a run game against against an Auburn team that that looks pretty good defensively and LSU that is always pretty stout defensively. All right let's get into some of your thoughts here as you guys uh, asked for your uh, opinions on what you saw uh, in, in the game so Plenty of you sent your thoughts here and start with Ryan Hinckley at Gator. Ryan uh, says, left plenty of points out there and have some things to clean up, but overall pleased. Need to get the run game working at some point, but I don't know how. Also, Tennessee is really, really, really bad. So uh, to continue. Uh, that thought, he doesn't know how. <laughs> do what? I love how you put he doesn't know how. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, yeah, we'll go there just for a second. I mean, they're – there are no easy answers except for the fact that this offensive line just has to get better. Uh, that's the, and that's the point. How do they get better? Does it all of a sudden click? You know, is this Tennessee game the second half and, and finding something with Emory Jones? Is that something they can count on uh, moving forward to get this run game going? Yeah, of course we're not coaches. We don't have the answers. Uh, they they know how to fix it or or, or the best way to fix it. But yeah, it. Uh, I think we do know the answer. It, it, it does the offensive line. Just yeah, us as observers, analysts, fans, we have no idea how to fix it. Uh, no, not really. I mean, <laughs> Garage played though, and they did mix it up a little bit with their offensive line. If you noticed, uh, Garage played left tackle early on a little bit, uh, moved Stone Forsyth to the right to the right side, and he looked pretty pretty solid. I thought for the most part, his performance was I want to say overall uneven, but he had his moments where he did. He made some nice, a couple of nice pulls come to mind. Uh, he had a pancake block on, I think, a Pirine run that ultimately only had two yards because he also kind of got in his way at the same time. So I want to say it was largely uneven, but he had some moments where he looked okay or, or looked decent enough to play. But yeah, I mean, it, it shows you that they're trying because they also moved him at, to left guard for a little bit too. Um, and then they went back to their starting five early on in the third quarter. But they, they mixed it up, and I think they're trying to just figure it out and to just work with what they have because those guys aren't changing. You know, it's not yeah. like they're going to sign a free agent and, and insert them to uh, next week's lineup. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen. They have these five or six guys that they're going to have to rely on and get the most out of them. Um, and it always just comes back to what the history is with this coaching staff. And it suggests that it should improve. We just don't know when or how long it will take. Uh, moving on, Robert Guagliardo says, Trask good, has room to improve, but impressive for his first start. Uh, kind of continuing the thought here, Jones opens up the run game, but we need to have him pass in the future. Defense is great. Injuries allowing young guys to play and bodes well for the future. Um, you know, Emory Jones' arm, uh, of course, is going to come into play, I think, at some point. Is it, I, I, you know, I'm not in the coach's head. I'm not in Dan Mullen's mind. I don't know what they're planning on. Even against Towson, I don't know how much I let him throw if the plan is to maybe use the element of surprise when you play Auburn, LSU, or, of course, especially Auburn in that defensive front that they'll be bringing to Gainesville. Maybe you try and steal a touchdown somewhere along the way by you know, keeping Emory Jones a little under wraps. And I'm not saying you're, under, you're keeping him under wraps because he's some great thrower, but some type of play to where it leads, you know, 
no doubt it's going to be a run, but Emory Jones pops one for, you know, a 40-yard touchdown or, or something like that, something we're not expecting. I don't think we'll see the, you know, quote-unquote maybe trickeration. Maybe that's the right word. Maybe that's the wrong word here. But maybe trying to keep Emory Jones a little under wraps for some of these defenses coming up. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see, like, um, a, lot, a whole lot of creativity maybe is the right yeah. way to put it, where we see a special play or, you know, some sort of trickeration, like you mentioned. I don't, we're not, I don't think we're going to see that. But I, I will say, though, that I think defenses still sort of respect Jones. A lot of these schools, these big schools, recruited him to some extent. They know who he is. They know what his capabilities are. And I think they do respect his arm because if not, he, I think he's good enough where he can burn teams on play action or um, other option plays where he, where he's able to kind of burn teams if they take that for granted or they dare him to, dare him to throw the ball a little bit. Um, I, I believe that that's it, it'll take a little bit of time, but I think it's going to show up. I, I, I do believe in his arm, um, at least being pretty live and and pretty powerful. Uh, we saw that even in the Georgia game, where you know he did have that one throw, David. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. it doesn't exist. but but you're right. I, I think it, it also would be good for Florida to kind of get him some confidence and just get him some more reps. And so that's what we maybe see as far as his passing ability goes, just kind of get him some completions. Um, and just get him working with guys in in live games that can only help him. All right, and Tampa guy follows up uh, as well, talking about some of the young guys: Bogle, Elam, Copeland, or Mullen commits. Each played well. Pass blocking improved. Uh, defense shut down UT in second half. Uh, is Tennessee that terrible? Uh, it looks like it. Uh, Cam the man says, "Is Rocky Top even an annoying song anymore?" Uh, I like how we did some different things running the ball with Jones, but we need to find a way to be more creative running with Trask at, at the helm. His two picks are easily correctable. Um, last one here, and we'll kind of just uh, wrap up all the thoughts here. We all uh, from Bull Gator. He says we all like seeing a gunslinger at quarterback, but Gator fans must realize that that just as there will be more passing touchdowns, there will also be more interceptions. I am glad we will have Towson before Auburn, so that Kyle Trask will get even more preparation. That said, we need to get healthy on defense. So we are kind of combining all those thoughts there. Mentioned getting healthy on defense, but it was a chance that we – I mean, and we pretty much knew we were going to see it uh, there with Henderson being out, but you still saw a lot of Chester Kimbrough. You saw a lot of Elam out there at, at the cornerback position uh, out there. And, look, the, the one matchup we knew Tennessee probably would re, would rely or try to rely on if Garantano could get the ball to him would be – uh, getting the ball to, to Callaway and Jennings, their, their receivers, uh, they weren't able to do much. No, not at all, actually. Um, and like like we said a bunch of times already, they'll be tougher teams. And I think the the listener kind of hit nail on the head where, yeah, you know, the, the team has to obviously get healthy. Um, but I don't know about the, the the fact that of calling, like, Trask that much of a gunslinger. I, I mean, I think we're a little bit early in the stages to be labeling him really anything. Um uh, one way or the other, I think he showed some good pocket awareness for the most part. Uh, like like we mentioned earlier, there were some plays where he could have made better decisions as far as picking up the pressure and one time running it, or um, uh, you know just being more aware with that it's coming and maybe not underestimating uh, where it's coming from or how quickly it's going to arrive. Uh, but but I mean it's one game, so it's like you gotta I don't know just kind of use it as a the data point that it is, which is it's really like either the first one or second one if you count Kentucky. All right, then one because uh, his name was brought up and kind of going back to Ryan's tweet earlier, 
leave, uh, leaving points on the board. Oh, Jacob Copeland will. <laughs> it was there. <laughs> it was there. We saw a little bit of Jacob, Jacob Copeland, right? I mean, we, we yeah. I think at this like reverse play. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head because I didn't, I didn't watch that particular play over, but uh, there was that one. I think he caught a one or two passes, but man, that, that was a beautiful pass uh, right down the sideline. Um, yeah, just flat out dropped. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing about uh, Trask's completion percentage. It could have been even better. I mean, he had yeah. a couple of throwaways. He had that one drop. It was a good game from from Trask overall. But, man, Copeland, he wants that one back. It's yeah. Like, hey, I mean, it drops are going to happen. We know part, part of the game here. But, uh, you know, it was a chance to uh, – and the fans are just really, you know, busting at the seams, wanting, wanting to see Jacob Copeland in the, he did, I think. Do what? They wanted that more than he did. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think you're right. I think, I think he won that ball, but but yeah, no. He, he, it, it, it'll be fun. I, I think he'll, he'll get more opportunities. Um, that, that, like you said, that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, quickly, what happened in the SEC uh, and teams of interest here? Alabama, 49-7 over Southern Miss. Not much there. Uh, the end of the Cal-Ole Miss game. Uh, Will, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Ole Miss will – Probably stopped at the goal line and really, cl- really close to a touchdown, but the Pac-12 officials decide not to review it, uh, and Ole Miss uh, runs a sneak there uh, on the last play of the game, doesn't get in uh, there. So that was the uh, the big headline there is that the Rebels stopped at the goal line, and uh, Pac-12 officials not uh, giving a second look to look. It, it probably would have been upheld as as not a touchdown, but it's still a play that had to be that that would have to be looked at. Yeah, I get. I, yeah, you gotta look at it again, yeah. right? Yeah. I the I don't. I didn't see the ball cross. Yeah. So I I know his feet were in, but that doesn't matter if the ball isn't there. So, and even his feet being in to to an extent, I think later in the play it's a little bit debatable, but the ball wasn't there. So I, I don't think it was a touchdown. But you're right. I mean, you gotta come on back twelve. <laughs> uh... Keep on going here. Will, man, LSU, 66 points up in Nashville, 66 to 38 uh, over Vanderbilt. I mean, Vanderbilt having 38 points, too, is kind of a a little bit of a surprise. But I'm assuming with LSU getting 66 uh, points, uh, Vandy had a lot of possessions uh, as well. But LSU offense early in the season just keeps on humming along. Man, it's a completely different story than it ever has been for LSU. Uh, That offense is legit. It's as good as it gets, I think. Uh, force to be reckoned with, but yeah, I think also the the points for Vanderbilt was just a product of just the extra possessions and the defense. I mean, that's I think that's like the thing that LSU fans are probably pointing at and saying, "Wait a second, like uh, we love the points and everything, but <laughs> the defense thing that we got to play, and you know we're gonna get a little bit tired." So that is one thing to look for, but uh, yeah, I mean LSU is gonna continue to play the way it has, and and I think it's gonna score enough points where. They're they're going to uh, be tough for for even the elite teams that they're going to see on their schedule. Yeah, different look Tigers team for sure. Auburn twenty eight twenty winners over uh, Texas A and M. So I believe Auburn and Mississippi State next week sets up. Uh, you know, could be a really uh, could be a top ten matchup if Auburn escapes Mississippi State, who also is coming off of a win uh, when they beat Kentucky twenty eight to thirteen. You know, Florida's opponent last week. Uh, there uh, uh, gets beat gets beat by Mississippi state 28 to 13. So, well, uh, yeah, uh, Auburn, Mississippi state next week that uh, could set up a, a, you know, Florida Towson, of course, but, uh, we're about two weeks away from a potential top 10 matchup here in the swamp. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, I wish I could kind of press uh, fast forward on this weekend a little bit, but, but man, I'll take it when it comes for sure, because uh, it'd be game. Well, it makes it interesting. We'll definitely want to watch what Auburn and Miss does against Mississippi state this coming up weekend. Well, yeah, there, there's that, but, but even so, I mean, I, I feel like Mississippi state has, has some issues um, that they got to sort out before I could really get too excited about watching them anyway. Uh, but, but, but I'm with you. I think it's a good test for, for Auburn at least so that, um, we kind of see a little bit more out of them and what they're capable of because Mississippi State played well against a pretty good team, I thought, in Kentucky. Yeah. And I uh, finish up uh, what happened in the SEC. Man, South Carolina could not uh, bounce back after that Alabama performance. Missouri crushes them 34-13. Game went, wasn't even really that close, uh, honestly. And then San Jose State goes to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and beats Arkansas 31-24. to uh, not a good look uh, for the SEC and Arkansas there. And then to wrap up, going to the ACC, Florida State holds on uh, in the fourth quarter uh, after they let Louisville take the lead. Florida State wins 35-24. to And uh, Miami beats the fighting Jim McElwain, Central Michigan, 17-12 to there. So I know a lot of – there was some interest in that since Jim McElwain uh, you know, was making his return to the state of Florida against Miami. They put up a fight. I mean, you say fighting. They really did fight. It looked like yeah. I didn't get the chance to watch the game, but geez, I was surprised at that score. Yeah. Uh, Miami, uh, not, not, New Miami. Miami. yeah, Miami. Yeah. Not, uh, not looking too good after, uh, after the, after the first game of the season when losses to North Carolina there in a close game uh, with Central Michigan. Will, what you got coming up on the athletic this week? Uh, well, I'll be looking at uh, – I had the exit survey with Nick De La Torre actually from, from Gator Country, so that should be a fun one coming out on just putting a bow on the, the Tennessee game from, from Saturday. Uh, looking ahead, I'll probably – I'm working on something on Jonathan Grenard as well just because of how important he has been for this team, and uh, I think it's pretty special and it's worth recognizing going a little bit in depth on. So I'm excited about that. I have some things also – uh, some some funner stories, some some offbeat features as well. Um, one involving food uh, next week, so that yeah. should be awesome, man. Uh, HBO is going to be in town all week. Uh, they are, yeah, yeah. With uh, so the, the prep for Towson. Yeah, yeah. So of course, uh, <laughs> that'll be a whole lot of uh, good insight on Florida from uh, looks like I think is the uh, Hard Knocks team with HBO spending a week in Gainesville. Uh, cover. Yeah, I like I like the SEC inside stuff um, when yeah. the network does it. So I, I, my hope is that it's kind of even a better version of that. Uh, maybe maybe I don't want to say more entertaining because I am kind of entertained by the SEC networks thing. Um, but I think what I'm trying to get at maybe a little bit more compelling. Um, maybe that's way, one way to put it. So we'll see. I don't know. My expectations aren't that high for it. Yeah. Uh, because I'm around there so much that I just don't know, but it's always cool to get a little bit more inside information and then see how things really truly operate. Absolutely. All right. That'll do it for this game reaction episode as Florida defeats Tennessee 34 to three. Be sure to join me on the next episode of Gators breakdown. It will be out tomorrow uh, with Will Miles as well. We get his analysis looking at uh, Florida, Tennessee and looking ahead uh, as well. That's Will Salmon from The Athletic joining me on this episode of Gators Breakdown. You can find him on Twitter at Will Salmon and, of course, again, at The Athletic. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.